This is Cardinal Francis George. I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a nonprofit ministry at the forefront of Catholic evangelization, using new media to spread the faith on every continent. Father Barron challenges us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, we have the special privilege this year of celebrating the feast of Peter and Paul on a Sunday. And it gives us the opportunity to reflect on these two absolutely pivotal figures. You know, there are many key players in the early days of the church. One thinks of James and John, of Timothy and Titus, of Barnabas and Silas, of Thomas and Mary Magdalene. But the indispensable players, the ones without whom Christianity would never have gotten off the ground, were clearly Peter and Paul. They were in so many ways different. Peter was a professional fisherman from the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Hardly rich, but not exactly poor. He'd be like a small businessman, we might say, in our terms today. He would have received probably very little formal education. He spoke his native Aramaic and maybe a smattering of Greek for business purposes. He was a man with a big heart. I mean, that comes through, doesn't it, in all the gospel stories. You wouldn't maybe praise him for his fine education and intelligence, but you'd notice this um, big, expansive heart. Now, Paul, on the other hand, was from the Jewish diaspora in Tarsus in Asia Minor, in present-day southeastern Turkey, he was very well-educated, both in the Hellenistic culture of his time. So young Saul would have read Plato and Aristotle and and Aeschylus and the Greek playwrights and poets. He was also very cultured in his native Judaism. So he would have read the Bible and its great commentators. He studied, we know, at the feet of Gamaliel. So as a young man, he was sent to Jerusalem. It's a bit like a a young seminarian today being sent to Rome for advanced studies. He was sent to Jerusalem, the center of the Jewish world, to study at the feet of Gamaliel, the leading rabbi of the time. So Paul, Saul, as he was known as a young man, was skilled in rhetoric, philosophy, and the interpretation of the scriptures. He knew Hebrew, of course, but... He was also a more than competent writer in Greek. Not exactly an elegant stylist, but a very energetic writer in Greek. He was, unlike Peter here, a professional arguer. He was an intellectual. That becomes pretty clear, even though his job on the side was tent maker. But Paul was a man of the mind. But you know what these two very different men had crucially in common? Was their love for Jesus Christ a love that brought each of them to their death. It's so important now that the church, from its earliest days, has kept these two figures together in its imagination and its iconography. 
think of so many icons and mosaics and paintings that go way back that picture Peter and Paul together, often in an embrace. You know, Rome became such an important city, not just because of Peter, but because of Peter and Paul that these two great apostles died in Rome is the reason why Rome emerged as such a central place. Now, why has the church kept these two players uh, together? I'd say because they represent two essential archetypes in the life of the church. And without the creative tension between the two, the church would not have had the capacity to survive in the course of these two millennia. Now, what am I talking about? Well, Peter is the archetype of order and office in the church. He's the archetype of order and office in the church. Jesus chose him to be the leader of the Twelve. And from the earliest days, he functioned clearly as the head and spokesman for the community. You know, it's crucially important to note that Peter's headship corresponds very closely to the confession of faith in the person of Jesus. That's our gospel for today, that that unforgettable scene from Caesarea Philippi. When Jesus turns to his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they report the general attitudes of the time. Some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Some say John the Baptist come back from the dead. And who do you say that I am? And the college of disciples remain silent until Peter speaks. He's not speaking for the crowd. He doesn't represent their point of view. He's not even speaking for the disciples. Speaking for himself, he says. You are the Mashiach. You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And see, Jesus confirms this. By saying, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father. Peter's headship is in tight correspondence with the clarity and rectitude of his confession of who Jesus is. Peter's headship, the fact that he's the head of the community, is in tight correlation to the fact that he clearly understands who Jesus is and has the courage to confess it. You know, Jesus certainly noticed qualities of leadership in Simon Peter. I'm sure he did. But what he noticed above all was the integrity of his faith and the courage of his confession. And here's the point. Without leadership and headship, based upon a clear confession of faith, the church would have long ago vociferated. It would have just fallen apart. It would have dissolved. Peter, therefore, represents leadership, integrity, form, and structure. Every priest, every bishop, every cardinal, every pope, down through the ages participates in Peter's office and mission. That's why it's so important in the Catholic community, whenever a pastor is installed or a bishop is enthroned 
or a pope is elected. We're saying somebody has the keys. The keys. What's going to open the door? The authority, the confession, the knowledge, the integrity, the office. See, without that, a parish falls apart. If there's no clear leadership, headship in the parish, it'll just fall apart into bickering groups. Same is true of a diocese. The same is true of the universal church. Without Peter, the church will devolve in very short order into a cantankerous debating society. Or at best, a loose confederation of like-minded people. You know, as I record these words, I'm in my office as rector here at the seminary, and right outside the window in front of this building is a statue of Peter. And it's interesting, uh, most of my priesthood has not been in this sort of Petrine mode. It's been more Pauline. I've spent most of my priesthood preaching and teaching and writing and engaging the culture. But now in this job as rector, well, that's a Petrine job. I've got to be the head of this community here. And I represent office and unity and, and the integrity of the institution without which it would fall apart. So that's Peter. That's the archetype of Peter. Now, if we one-sidedly emphasize this Petrine element, the church, as John Henry Newman said, would become petrified, would become stony and lifeless. See, and this is why Peter and Paul embrace why the Petrine ministry has to be balanced by the Pauline ministry. Now, what am I talking about? Well, if Peter represents office and headship, Paul represents mission, theology, evangelization, the outward and energetic dimension of the church's life. Peter confessed his faith in the identity of Jesus, but Paul searched out the meaning of that confession and then actively proclaimed it. Paul was, without a doubt, the first true theologian in the tradition, the first to practice this subtle art of faith-seeking understanding. As such, and you can see in all his letters, just pick up any of the letters of Paul and start reading them, he ruminated, he speculated, he thought, he taught, he argued, he engaged the wider culture, took on objections, etc., Think of Paul up on the Areopagus in Athens. John Henry Newman, again, speaks of the development of doctrine, which is a sign of life in the church. Doctrine is not passed on dumbly like a football, but rather it's elaborated, unfolded, developed through the play of lively minds and the process of disciplined conversation. In this sense, every great theologian, preacher, and spiritual teacher, Augustine, Jerome, Chrysostom, Ambrose, Anselm, Aquinas, Bonaventure, Ignatius, John of the Cross, Newman himself, Fulton Sheen, Joseph Ratzinger, all these figures participate in the Pauline office. And see, without the dynamism of this dimension, the church would run out of steam. It would dry up. It would become 
petrified. Now, mind you, remember Peter and Paul embrace each other down through the ages. So mind you, this speculative, adventurous, theological effort is always disciplined by Peter. Otherwise, it would become unruly and self-defeating. Come to any faculty lounge and watch what happens when you get a bunch of intellectuals together arguing. This is interesting, maybe. It could be fun. But it's not a formula for uh, institutional integrity. Newman used the image of an animal assimilating its environment to illumine this relationship. Every successful organism, he said, is a blend of the formal and the dynamic. If an animal were all form, all kind of unbending structure, it couldn't adapt to its environment or take in what it has to. If it were all dynamics, the animal would lose its integrity and simply be overwhelmed by the environment. This is why the church, which Paul himself aptly compares to a living organism, to a body, must include both the Petrine and the Pauline elements, both form and dynamics, both structure and creativity, both order and speculation. And that's why it's altogether fitting and proper that the church celebrates these two great saints together, that it holds together these two great archetypes. And God bless you. I hope you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George, and I pray that God will bless you and those you love.